0: to see the Creation Museum and the Ark. And uh, it was my wife and I second time out that way. And my wife's like, had a, we had a little cart. She could push a bell around. And she says, you can go see whatever you want to do or see whatever you want to see in the Ark. You don't tell it to someone like me. That's, that's like unleashing a kid on a candy store. It's just, <clears throat> oh, and so uh, she teased me afterwards. She says, so Sunday morning, am I going to hear something about creation? No, no, you're not. Um, about two years ago, uh, David Bennett, my mentor, and coincidentally my boss, um, he challenged us. He said, when was the last time you ever heard a message on John 3.16? And to be honest with you, messages preached out of John 3.16 are very rare. Now, I've done done two already here, and uh, this is going to be my third one. And uh, it's just we all say, oh, well, I know that verse. I talked with a man uh, last Sunday and witnessed to him, and, and he's like, oh, yeah, I know John 3.16. He said, you don't know anything else about the Bible, but you can know John 3.16, and he almost quoted it verbatim, and uh, it's interesting how the world will know that verse, and we as Christians think, oh, well, I know that verse. I don't, I don't need to really look at it, study it, think about it in depth, but you realize this is our Swiss army knife of the Bible, Every false doctrine, every false religion, every error that comes and creeps into the church—you can cut it apart with John 3:16. And when you look at John 3:16, you say, "Oh, yes, that's nice," and, and it's a gem of the Bible. And we kind of like what we would do with any gem, I suppose. We put it in a case in somewhere, and we don't really look at it, we don't really touch it, we don't hold it. It's just, oh, it, we have it there. It's nice to look at every once in a while. Maybe in a time of trial and tribulation, we look at it and say, oh yes, it was a great promise for God, so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But we really don't dig down deep into it. And to this morning, I'm gonna continue to dig down deep. Uh, the first time I, I talked about it, we looked at the words for God and just what does that mean, for God? Who is he? What did he do? Why, does he, why is he here? Why does he love us? The second part was, He's so loved. And what does that mean, he's so loved? Remember I talked about it extends, it extends past the love that a husband has for a wife. It extends past the love that a father or mother has for the children. It extends past, you know, lovers. It extends past any sort of human emotion or love that we can conjure up on our own. His love was so much greater. I'm gonna jump over two words, the world. I might come back to that um, But I'm going to go right into the phrase, that he gave. And this is where the real meat of the verse starts to come in to effect. And so I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive right in here into the fact that he gave. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that you have given to us. And the reason that you have given it to us is that we may draw closer to you through your word. And through a study and meditation upon it. Lord, we ask now you bless the time that you have given to us. We ask that you would be fruitful, that we may take what we learn and apply it to our hearts and our lives, that we may be good servants for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So again, just to recall you to remember, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, we think of that he gave. What does it mean that God gave? Well, we can think about things that are given to us. Uh, Acts chapter 17 says that he gives to all life and breath and all things. You see, before then, and even to today, we have a lot of people who worship God's that need to be served with their hands. Um, I, talked with my, I talked with someone. I thought it was my mother, but I'm not quite sure. I talked with a lot of people. Um, and they were talking to a lady from an Eastern religion, and she has her god on her dresser, and every morning she has to dress her god and pour her god a bowl of milk or water, and she has to take care of this little tiki god, basically. And the thought came across, I don't have to do any of those things for my god. You know, seeing our God is not made with man's hands, but he made the world and the heavens. And he made everything. And he gives to all life and breath and all things. He does not need anything at our hands. And again, it's an expression of his love that he doesn't need it, yet he still comes to us and and implores us for fellowship and relationship. We think of the word, there's a word called philanthropy. Philanthropy is a lover of men. A uh, love of man, excuse me. We can think of some of the great uh, philanthropists, Rockefeller. He built colleges. We can think of Carnegie, and he built libraries, and there are many libraries around America that were funded by Carnegie. Uh, but really, what did these men give? Let, let's look at what did they really give? Did they really sacrifice in their giving? How many meals do you think Carnegie gave up so that he could build a library? How many luxuries do you think Rockefeller gave up because he wanted to build a college? You and I probably will never know because we can't fathom. They might think, well, I wanted a new car this year, but maybe I'll give up my new car so that I can put some more money towards it. We really don't know. Is that really, is that really sacrificial giving? No, what did they did, They gave out of their abundance, didn't they? Uh, remember Jesus Christ, as he was walking here on the earth, he went with his disciples in the temple. And when he went in there, he saw all these men that went in, and out of their abundance, they poured into the treasury. And people looked and said, oh, what great faith. Oh, what great givers they are. And then you have this little... Humble widow woman who casts in two mites. And what does Jesus say? She has given more than all of these. Because she has cast in all she had. Now there are philanthropists who have sacrificed, who have given up. But oftentimes they come from experience. I think of a man, his name is John Howard. He lived in 19, or 19, yeah, He lived in 1755. And in 1755, he and his father, they went overseas to help with an earthquake. Um, An earthquake had hit uh, southern Europe. They went to help. On their ship ride back, a Portuguese privateer ship uh, sank sank their ship and took them hostage. John Howard was then sold to France from the Portuguese. And the French used him and kept him in prison Until the English would turn over some of the French officers that they had captured. And eventually he was bartered over. Well, it was not a fun experience for John Howard in the French and the Portuguese um, eight foot square cells that they would put you in. It was not a fun experience to be called on the Hulks. Um, That's their prison ships were called. It was not a good experience. So when John Howard came back to England, he decided, I am going to go look at what the English prisons are like, and I'm going to see what I can do about the situation of the prisoners that are there. You see, because he was a prisoner, now he could have empathy for other prisoners. And John Howard, he went around, and and he looked at the abysmal uh, conditions in the prisons. And after a while, he... He went to the House of Commons and petitioned for something to be done. He gave up his own. He gave up his own money. He gave up his own inheritance of fifty thousand pounds. He gave up. He sold a house so that he could then go and live in apartments off these prisons, so that he could oversee how these prisoners lived. In 1775, he was made the High Sheriff of Bedfordshire. And it was, just a, it was just a stand-in position, but eventually he became so well-known by the prisoners in the House of Commons that, he w- that they actually invited him to Parliament to receive honorary rewards for his humanitarian efforts. In 19, er, 19 again, he's not 200 years old. In 1775, He went throughout all of England or all of Europe and was helping to renovate the different types of prisons. Uh, He was known as the great prison reformer. And while he was out in Ukraine, he caught typhus while staying at one of the prisons. He would go and he would stay there and he would see what the prisoners felt like. And that helped him empathize and have sympathy with them. And while he was out in Ukraine, he caught typhus and died. Well, in reprimandum of what he did, England printed their halfpence with his image on one side and on the other side a, a saying that he, he would use, and that is go forth and remember the prisoners of Gaul, the French prisons that he was in. And so he would print a halfpenny. I wish I had a halfpenny, but I, I don't have one of them. Um, but his giving, even though he gave his house, he gave his inheritance, he gave away his money and eventually died in prison even though he was a free man, was all come out of the experience that he had. God doesn't have an experience to really pity us before he gave Jesus Christ. He was high up here. He didn't have to come down here. But he did. The Bible says that he gave. So he gave, Think thing about giving again Giving in the eyes of God, and and we see that through Christ with his disciples there with the widow woman, giving has to cost you something. Giving has to cost you something. Even in the Old Testament, when David wanted to build the temple, but God forbid it, so he even gave out of his his own pocket, he gave to the building of the temple. He said, I want to give to the building of the temple. I want it to cost me something. So when we think, well, what did God give? What could God have given you? Could he give you the gold and the silver in every mine? Well, he could, but such a gift would cost him nothing. Could he give you the cattle on a thousand hills? He could, but again, that gift would cost him nothing. No, he gave something that cost him everything. The Bible says that he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave Jesus Christ. That is a gift that cost God everything. And you say, well, how great was this cost? Well, think of this. That he gave, that phrase, it means suffering. It just brings into it suffering, loss. Look at Jesus Christ as he lived. In his birth, Herod the king tried to have him killed. He came in as an infant and immediately Satan through his forces was trying to kill him. They had to flee to Egypt. He would be homeless. Luke 9, 8 says, The foxes have dens, the birds have nests, but the Son of Man hath not a place to lay his head. He didn't have a regular abode to live in. He would suffer hunger and thirst. In Luke uh, chapter 4 and John chapter 4, um, he, went to the, he went to the well Luke chapter 4, he was tempted by Satan in the desert. He says, turn these rocks into bread if you, you know. And then again, at the the woman at the well, give me this water. And then he turns around, even before she gives him anything, then he turns it right around and says, if you knew who asked thee for water, you would have asked of him, and he would give thee everlasting water, which would spring up in you a well. You know, even while he's thirsty, he's still thinking of other people. But he experienced hunger. He experienced thirst. In, um, in John chapter 19, I think it's John chapter 19, verse 28, when he's in the ship and the storm comes, where is Jesus? He's in the bow of the ship. He's asleep. Imagine how tired you had to be. Now, there were other places where he says that he ministered to the men and the women insomuch so much they had no time even to rest or to eat. And his disciples were picking off ears of corn as they walked by the fields. And he experienced those long hours of ministry and long hours of work. He he suffered the sting of slander. In John chapter 8, you have the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Jesus is there healing people and casting out devils. And the Pharisees saying, oh, he's casting out devils in the name of Beelzebub. Jesus Christ in the name of Beelzebub? He he suffered the hurt of misunderstanding. He suffered estrangement. He suffered the horrors of anticipation and the anticipation of what his death would bring, the pain and the suffering. We know in the garden he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. He prayed, Lord, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. But you look at the gospels, and as you read the gospels, about halfway he starts to mention his death. And then it starts he starts mentioning it more and more frequently all the way up to the very night of he is uh, the very night he is betrayed. You don't think Satan was having that run through Christ's mind reminding him of what the cross would bring him? Do you not think that that agony, that mental anguish was great and heavy on his mind? Yet he bore it. He bore it for you because God gave him. He suffered that anguish, that mental anguish. I know today we have anxiety pills. There were no anxiety pills back then. He suffered uh, the anguish of rejection. You have his disciples that led him or led from him. He endured all these things. Hebrews says in in Hebrews chapter two, he says he endured all these things that he may be a great high priest. See, we have a high priest who is touched with our infirmities. He knows what it's like to be hungry. He knows what it's like to be thirsty and tired. He knows what it's like when people reject you. He knows what it's like when people hate you. He knows what it says when people look at you while you're innocent and say, crucify, crucify, crucify. He knows and he can be a comfort to you because he went through that. So you can't look at God and say, God, you don't know what it's like. He does. He was here, he experienced it. He's called a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. What a name for the Son of God to bear. He suffered in death from Gethsemane. Turned over by friends, men spit on him. They beat him with rods. They scourged him with a crown of thorns. And they laid in a pit of clay and made a show of sport of. They brought him before governor said, do a miracle, Jesus. And he wouldn't. Now he was laid down in a a pit of clay. You you remember the song, um, there's, I think it's a hymn. He brought me out of the miry clay. He set my feet on the rock to stay. How many of you have heard that song before? Okay, a few of you. Some of you, okay. When he says that he brought him out of mired clay, if you're in clay, clay does something, has a chemical reaction to your human sweat. Now, he has been beaten. He's been punched. He's bleeding, sweating profusely. If you put that on mired clay, it has a chemical burn effect. You think of Obadiah Holmes. and When they beat him and whipped him, he had to sleep on his hands and knees for three months in the prison because he couldn't lay down. It hurt so bad. This is Jesus Christ after they beat him and whipped him and plucked out his beard and they threw him in a miry pit of clay. Even his hands and feet, they must have been soured with those burns, those chemical burns. How awful. How awful that he took all that. But all of that is because God gave him. The Bible says he gave him over to, the judge, to judgment. And finally, he was crucified alive. I remember reading of a story of, of people witnessing to children. And one little girl, she finally got it when she looked at a picture of Jesus Christ on the cross. And after hearing the story, she gasped and said, you mean they crucified him alive? Yes, they crucified our Lord alive. Him writer said, he, ye that pass by, behold the man, the man of grief condemned for you, the lamb of God for sinners slain, weeping to Calvary pursue. His, uh, his sacred limbs, they stretch, they tear. With nails, they fasten to the wood. His sacred flesh exposed and bare, or else covered by his blood. You see, he endured this so that Hebrews 2.10 says he endured so that he could become the captain of our salvation. He died in order to win the victory for us. In judgment, he suffered. He he was judged by the Father for our sins. You see, even in in all of our history books, and if you read Fox's Book of Martyrs and and the various ways and the cruelty by which man has has deemed other men should die. You never have a martyr scream out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Not one martyr ever went screaming that God forsook him. Most of the time, they actually went quite peacefully. Peacefully. They smiled in the face of their persecution. God gave them great grace. Look at the Bible and Stephen, he's being stoned. He looks up to heaven and he sees Jesus Christ standing at the right hand of glory. He didn't have to cry out, God, why are you forsaking me as they stoned him to death? But that's what Jesus Christ experienced. You see, God had to turn his back on sin. Not only did he have to turn his, turn his back, you think the son already had to leave heaven. That had to be bad enough to experience all those horrible things in the humanities that we have to suffer as a result of our own sin was bad enough. Then it had to come so much as the Bible says that it pleased the Lord to smite him. God the Father had to smite his own son for your sin and mine. It wasn't just turning his back. He had to smite his own son on our behalf. He gave his son to judgment for us You see, I talked about the philanthropists. And we can spend $1,000 on a new computer and give $10 to missions. We can spend $100 on a new phone, and give a dollar to missions. We can spend $10 for a souvenir mug or a baseball cap and give a dime to missions. So much do we love the world. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The hymn writer continued in his last verse, but none of, none of the ransomed ever knew how deep were the waters crossed, nor how dark the night which the Lord passed through, ere he found his sheep that was lost. We will never know what it was like for Christ on that cross that day. We can't fathom, we can't truly know the horrors that he had to experience, the darkness, the separation, the broken fellowship, We don't have to experience any of those things because he took it for you and for me. That he gave, yes, it means suffering, but it also means a substitution. Again, substitution, your sins were placed on him on Calvary. So let me emphasize, there is one thing, and and some people kind of get this a little mixed up, and that is there never was, nor will there ever be mercy for sin. There cannot be mercy for sin. There can, however, be mercy for the sinner. See, I am forgiven, but my sins were laid on Christ on the cross. They had to be smitten, they had to be judged. But I, as the sinner, could be forgiven and let go, I could be released. Now you say, how is that fair? How is that just? Remember later on, the Bible talks about Paul's talking to the Corinthians, I think. Don't quote me on that. Where he says, if any of you have sinned, he says, you go to the Father, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. No, sin has to be judged. If the sinner had to be judged that he could not be just in forgiving us. The sin was judged on the cross. We can be justified and forgiven. Why? Because he gave. He gave sacrificially. There is a poem uh, written from Eve's perspective looking back. And it says, I am Eve, great Adam's wife. Twas my guilt took Jesus' life. Since a heaven I robbed my race, on his cross was my true place. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood. And that could be said of every one of us. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See again, he, he gave as a substitution. And that he gave means Salvation. Thomas DeWitt, uh, Talmadge, he was a Presbyterian pastor in the mid to late 1800s. And uh, he said this No elaborate thinking is necessary to understand our religion. You have only to put two ideas together. The one is the greatest in all history, and the other is the worst. I am a sinner is the worst thought that you can ever imagine, the worst idea. I am a sinner but Christ died for me. You put those two things together, you have our faith. I'm gonna look here. Romans 8, verse 32. I'm gonna turn there. Romans eight thirty two. The Bible says, He that spared not his son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not, with him, also freely give us all things? He said, He spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How many of you ever seen? They have a track kind of thing that they put out at fairs. You know, look at these three things God cannot do: God cannot lie, God cannot, you know, allow sin into heaven. And you know how many of you have ever seen that that kind of gospel presentation okay few of you There are a list of things that God cannot do But one of those things is he could not spare Christ and us at the same time One of us had to be smitten And he chose his own son You see, I think about another man who was out on the Santa Fe railroads out in Kansas. And as he was there, he was being witnessed to by a young man. And as the young man left, an atheist came up alongside of him and asked him, he said, can you believe what that Christian told you? And he says, no, I can't believe it. It's too good to be true. I can't believe what the Bible says. I just can't. And he laughed. He said, well, what part of it can't you, can't you believe? And he says, John 3, 16. He said, if the Bible said that he loved us because we first loved him, then we could believe it. But the exact opposite is true. The Bible says that we love him because he first loved us. The Bible says he gave himself for us. It means salvation. So in the end, and I'm gonna have a little bit of time, God gave, have you accepted? John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's easy, it's simple. You can quote it, you can say it. I can even say it in French because I learned it last year. And um, you know what? No one here, I think, speaks French, so it would be a waste of time, wouldn't it? Yes, it would. But he gave. You have to accept it. One more history lesson, because I know pastor loves history. In 1829, a man by the name of George Wilson. And George Wilson, um, he was convicted of manslaughter. And... To be fair, looking at the evidence, almost all of it was circumstantial. You know, it's one of these, he wasn't here at the right time or he was there at the wrong time. You know, it really could have been someone else, but the verdict was passed down that George Wilson was was guilty and he was condemned to die. Well, there was a big ruckus about it, and they eventually, (coughs) sorry, petitioned President Jackson to. To um, petition his release, and so the president wanted to wait a little bit. After a while, he did. He he wrote a petition, uh, a pardon for him, and they sent it. Uh, they sent it to the jail where he was, and I can imagine the joy that of one of his friends probably coming with the warden as he handed George Wilson the petition and the um, pardon from the president. George Wilson rejected the pardon. Well, that threw our entire legal system into an uproar because never in history of the United States, even though it was a young country back then, never had anyone ever rejected a pardon from the king or a president. So they didn't know what to do. Is he a free man? Is he guilty? Should he live? Should he die? What are we going to do? It got all the way up to the Supreme Court and there was a chief justice there by the name of John Marshall. And they asked John Marshall, as, as final authority, he said, this pardon is nothing more than a piece of paper. George Wilson is going to die. And they killed George Wilson for the murder of several people. And you say, oh, oh, Well, that's a bummer. That's not a Hallmark movie ending. You see, John 3, 16 is great. I love it. It's a gem. I I call it my my pocket knife in the ministry because I can just cut up any sort of false teaching you try to throw. But God giving his son, it doesn't do you any good if you don't accept it. It cost him everything. He paid the price. But if you don't accept it, it won't do you any good. One last thought here on I talked about um, John Howard. He said this about giving. Now I understand. Carnegie said a lot about giving. Um, Rockefeller had a lot to say about giving. But I want to pick from Howard because he literally lived and then died in the prisons which he was trying to help reform. And he said this, we must learn to give of our luxuries to supply the comforts of others. We must learn to give of our comforts to supply the extremities or the necessities of others and learn to give even of our necessities to to supply their extremities. Now, he had a coin. They printed the coin. It says, go forth. Remember the prisoners of Gaul. Can we go forth and remember the captives of hell? Those who are bound, those who are already convicted. The Bible says, if they have the son, they have have life. If they have not the son, they shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on them. He says, God sent not his son to the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. See, they're condemned already. Can we go forth and remember them? Share with them the petition and the pardon that God gave to them so many years ago on the cross. If they accept it, then you have won a brother. But if they reject it, it'll do them no good. Can we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this time. And we looked at just the meat of this verse, that you gave. You love the world. You love the saint, yes, but the sinner as well. You love the businessman, and you love the prostitute, and you love the grave robber, and you love the, the vilest offenders out there. Yes, you love the Jew, but you love the Gentile as well. You love the whole world. And you loved even me. And that you gave... Your only son. The Bible says that even though while we were yet your enemies, you loved us. And Christ died for us. And the testimonies of men like Saul who persecuted the church, yet you loved him and you saved him and you turned him into a voice of the gospel. Lord, may you use us to share that same gospel with people today. Lord, as we go out from here, as pastor comes up and he gets ready to preach uh, the morning message, as we hear from the testimonies tonight, may we be reminded it's all made possible because you gave. It may be possible that your son, who has experienced all the sufferings of humanity and now can be a comfort to us, even in our trials. Lord, we might not know what our trials, what what our days may bring forth, but we know that you are faithful, you are just, We know that you will not allow us to be tempted above that which we are able. But you will with our temptation also provide a way to escape that we may be able to bear it. And that includes our sin penalty of death. Lord, we ask that you would bless us if anyone here has been playing the part of a Christian, that today they would accept you and accept your unconditional atonement on the cross. Lord, we ask that your name would be honored and glorified through all it's said and done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.